0: Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's a high time. We had a high time. Together.
1: Together. Yes, it's hot
0: time. We had a high time. Together. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host in Cannabis Lifestyle Guide, and I am so excited to share today's show with you. My guest is David Krantz. He is a certified epigenetic coach specializing in nutritional genomics and the endocannabinoid system. Nutrigenomics is the study of how your genes influence the way you respond and process foods herbs, nutrients, and other substances, including cannabis, which is why David's work piqued my interest. David is going to showcase our favorite plant today from a nutrigenomic standpoint and examine the genetic correlations that make us all precious snowflakes when it comes to our response to cannabis. And even better, this information, along with David's coaching program, will empower you to make clear decisions on if, how, when, and why you incorporate cannabis into your life. David has discovered some interesting genetic factors that seem to influence people's enjoyment of cannabis. Spoiler alert, cannabis is not right for everyone.
1: I got the bottle of wine, the hot dog. I got the West Coast smoke, but I
0: better just take one. I'm so excited to welcome David Krantz onto today's podcast. Um, I watched a video that he did that completely blew my mind. And I wish I had seen it two weeks prior when I was sitting at the bar next to a doctor who was telling me that the problem with cannabis is that there's no way to define your dosage. Now, had I been armed with the information that I learned from David, I could have had a really good argument with this guy. So I'm happy to have you here, David, to um, teach us about how our DNA can unlock the secrets of optimizing our individual cannabis use for our optimum health and wellness. Thanks for joining me.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and talking to you about this.
0: Outstanding. So on your website, I read that your mission is to translate the difficult to understand science into actionable things that we can do to improve our daily lives. And that is right on board with my mission and what I try to do at Casually Baked, helping people incorporate cannabis for wellness into their life. So what what drove you um, to this place to be doing this, you know, this important work regarding our DNA?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question and a great place to start. So uh, I kind of found my way almost accidentally into this type of work after biohacking my way out of some debil- debilitating and sort of weird non-diagnosable health conditions that mainstream medicine just didn't really have much of an answer for me. And so I retooled my diet, retooled a whole lot of the stuff I was doing and ended up eventually training with and actually helping him develop some of the training material for his programs. Uh, this guy named Dr. Dan Stickler, who if you've heard of the uh, the supplement company, Neurohacker Collective, or or the supplement Qualia, uh, he's the medical director for those guys. So I um, ended up training with him. He's kind of my mentor, uh, and it's kind of a long story how I got connected with him, but um, kind of through a combination of really having to figure out how to heal myself and Um, sort of being picked out of the crowd by a really talented and really awesome practitioner who is looking for someone to kind of be his protege in some ways. Um, I have ended up doing what I'm doing now and really diving deep into how genetics affect um, not only cannabis, but the way that you respond to food and exercise and all kinds of different lifestyle factors that really can go into creating or destroying health. And uh, genes happen to be a really good guide um to uh, figuring out what those specific things are for you as an individual.
0: I joke all the time on the show that we are all precious snowflakes. And so this discussion is just, you know, a complete like, deep dive into that and how we can discover and unlock all of these secrets. And, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know what nutrigenomics or nutrigenetics even was until you reached out to me. So, can you kind of give us a broad overview of of what that science is, and you know, and kind of make sense um, sense in a layman's term for us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's no surprise to me that you haven't heard those terms because they're really relatively new, and they're something that's only been able to be looked at in the body uh, really fairly recently because we only mapped the human genome in the early 2000s. So, the information that's come from that has led to these two new fields, uh, nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics. And uh, nutrigenetics is the study of uh, how certain genetic variants impact our response to food. So, uh, I'll give you an example. There's a gene called BCMO1. And this gene has to do with how you convert beta-carotene into retinol. And those are two forms of vitamin A. And beta-carotene is the plant form of vitamin A. And the form that we actually use in the vitamin A receptors in our bodies and actually go into uh, really the the positive effects of vitamin A uh, come in this active form and we have to be able to convert the inactive form in, into the active form in our body. And so, um, nutrigenomics looks at this particular gene that for some people, they have a really good conversion ability. And for some people, well, they have a, a lower conversion ability and they don't actually make the active form of vitamin A with this beta carotene very well. So, nutrigenetically, if you know that you have a lower functioning variant of that gene and you are going to require more of the active form of vitamin A, then the nutrigenetic approach to that would be to eat extra liver or animal products that have more active vitamin A in them. So with nutrigenetics, it's kind of a question of um, matching the correct diet to make up for say def- deficits or uh, aspects of your genetics that might call for different nutrients. So it's really customized nutrition for your genetics. And the difference between that and nutrigenomics is nutrigenomics is actually looking at how those foods or substances go into changing the genetic expression. And we'll talk uh, a little bit more about this when we talk about epigenetics. But what's really amazing is that we, uh, we now know that not only does... Uh, can can modify people's diets to just make up for that, say, difference in ability to convert vitamin A, you can also potentially give someone something that would make them better at converting vitamin A. And there's all kinds of different herbs and substances. Herbs are especially nutrigenomic. Uh, A lot of the really positive things you see from herbs are going to come from uh, changing genetic expression. And I'm also really excited for more research to be done on cannabis and really understand how cannabis and uh, things like CBD are, it can go into affecting genetic expression over time. But uh, yeah, nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics are essentially how your body responds to different foods, plants, or substances, and how your body changes over time in response to those foods.
0: Okay, that is very exciting stuff and it totally makes sense. I'm tracking with you, so we're good so far. So tell me where the evolution of our conversation, because I'm not super, you know, intelligent about these things, I want to, you know, I want to make sure that you're guiding us through this conversation a bit, because I know that in order to get to step two, we need to understand step one. So, so now that we understand nutrigenomics and nutrigenetics, like what's the next major thing that we need to understand?
1: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit just about genetics and epigenetics in general, because I think that would help orient your audience to the rest of the conversation. Um, So, you know, I remember uh, learning in high school biology class and you probably uh, had a similar experience of learning that uh, your DNA codes for proteins and those proteins code for your traits. And that's it. And that's what they call the central dogma of biology, and that was kind of the core understanding of how this stuff worked for you know 30, 40 years. And it wasn't until uh, really the 80s, 80s and 90s they started to to really realize, oh, there's actually a whole other piece here that we're missing. Um, like that's part of the equation. You have this this code, right? Everyone has their individual particular code that makes them unique. And that code might be the reason that you have blonde hair and I have brown hair. And uh, you can see that in sort of external physical traits. But all of the science started to really show that there's this other level of control that happens in between that code and what actually ends up getting expressed. And that's what's called epigenetics. And epigenetics is the study of how genes express themselves. So you can think of uh, each one of these genes say uh, when you're talking about hair color, you have certain genes that might code for proteins that create a brown pigment, and uh, I might have genes that code for a blonde pigment, but as you know, people's hair actually changes color over time. A lot of the time people get gray hair mm-hmm. and so those those genes that uh, code for those color pigments actually change their expression over time. That's something that happens with epigenetics.
0: See, and, and here, here I was, I, I thought children were what gave people gray hair.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, stress actually, <laughs> stress is a big factor and we'll talk all about that, but that can uh, that can be an influence for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but with that process, that's an epigenetic process that changes naturally in the body over time. And uh, you see the same thing with, for example, uh, the gene that makes uh, lactase, the, uh, the thing that breaks down lactose in your body. You know, everyone is born being able to uh, drink their mother's milk, and it's really great that, uh, you know, nature and evolution kind of built that in. But then around the age of 13 or 14, about half the people lose that ability to continue to make lactose, and they become lactose intolerant. And that's another epigenetic uh, factor. So you can kind of think about epigenetics as almost like a dimmer switch on each one of these genes. And in response uh, to either something that's sort of encoded in the system just through natural aging like that, or in response to eating certain foods or being exposed to uh, certain stress or, or trauma, you know, they've really found that uh, PTSD has a lot of components of, of epigenetics involved in it, where you get these sudden changes in the body. Suddenly, um, you know, it's trying to respond to a stressful situation. Um, all these different factors can go into shifting epigenetics. And uh, what I do with clients is really help. A, understand what's the the basic genetic code there and how is that going to help us understand how you might respond to these different foods and substances, herbs, cannabis, um, stress, meditation, any type of technique that's going to change the way the the human system is interacting with the world. You know, it's really about matching the correct stimulus and the correct thing to the person's genes. So... It's a really exciting time in terms of understanding how all these systems work in the body. And yeah, I'm really happy to, to have a platform to talk about this because it's, it's not a perspective that a lot of people are aware of yet. And a lot of the reason for that is the research just hasn't made its way into the mainstream yet. So I'm very excited that uh, you're you know, wanting to share this information with your audience because I think it's very, uh, very important, very empowering stuff to, to become aware of.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I'm so fascinated about it for myself. So I know if I'm this excited about it, there's got to be other people out there that are because, you know, like you said, like, these things happen in our life, or, or we develop healthy habits, and we do have the power to change our lives and, and change our bodies. And so, you know, we think, okay, I have this, this is the DNA I was born with. This is how everything's going to be. But what I'm understanding and hearing you say is that, you know, we can take some of that power back and, and help and shift and control what's happening in our bodies. And I think that's, you know, I tell people all the time, I'm a powerful creator. And so, you know, this is one of those opportunities to practice that.
1: Absolutely. And I think the that mentality and being able to approach your health in terms of understanding that you are the one that is ultimately going to create or not create health. And, um, you know, I have a lot of empathy for, uh, you know, people that have been trying to uh, improve their health, but they're just not doing the right thing. And there's because there's so much conflicting information out there about what is healthy and what's really good for you, this type of genetic testing can really help cut through that noise and really give people a direct approach and a direct path to wellness, rather than throwing darts at the dartboard and seeing what sticks. Um, You know, I'm sure you've probably had the experience of standing in a supplement aisle and just thinking, well, all of this stuff looks like it's supposed to be good for me. And the, uh, you know, the truth is that in certain situations for certain people, uh, most of that stuff is good, but it's just, all of it isn't good for everyone all the time. And so uh, really understanding your individual biochemistry, your individual predispositions uh, kind of gives you the key to say, hey, this is what's good for my body, because ultimately that's what it's about. And, and that's you know, something we can talk about, too, is you know, the uh, kind of approach in Western medicine and allopathic medicine is let's look at a whole population and find the average Let's see the average response to this thing, and then we'll just make that the recommendation. But when you do that, it leaves out the outliers. It leaves out the 20% uh, that fall outside the bell curve that weren't the average. And instead of ignoring those people, what I'm really interested in is more deeply understanding why those people respond differently and actually creating protocols and more precision ways of uh, giving those people the opportunity to thrive just because they're not the exact average human being, which of course there is no such thing as an average human being. Uh, so, you know, with this type of uh, testing and information and, uh, you know, a little bit more attention to detail, you really can get to places that you ordinarily couldn't through typical, uh, approaches that most people would find with, you know, just a a regular doctor that's out there.
0: Absolutely. It's like you're creating this personalized roadmap for like optimum, you know, living like, okay, you want to live as long as humanly possible, like I can hand you over, you know, the the keys to that. And that to me is super exciting. Um, But the one thing, though, for me is that when I see these DNA tests, like 23andMe, mm-hmm. I just, uh, I get, I go to this weird place where someone in, you know, in a publicly traded company who probably has ties to the government now has access to my DNA and that just freaks me out. So tell me why that's completely ridiculous and like talk me off the ledge as to why I wouldn't want to do this DNA test. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, actually that's that's a a pretty valid concern. I I share your concerns in some ways about data privacy and and appropriate use of of, uh, your information. And uh, no, I, I did 23andMe a couple of years ago because for for me, I thought it was worth whatever risk there was to get the information about you know my health and, and my genes. Um, but uh, I'm actually um, this last week got the first round of custom genetic arrays that myself and some colleagues put together and are contracting with a privately held company. Um, to do a custom panel that we'll talk a little bit more about um, that completely eliminates all of those potentials because the way we've set this test up is that your name is actually not even tied to it. The only identification that is uh, used is just a number that's on the uh, collection tube. So the company that sequences your DNA through, through my test actually never even knows your name. There's no way to tie it to, say, your insurance company later on. It's simply an anonymous number that you get your data, you own it. There's no question about it. So uh, while I'd love to say, hey, 23andMe and Helix and all these other companies that are publicly traded are perfectly reputable and there's no issue with this, um, I can't say that because I personally don't know. But what I do know is that we've taken um, every uh, precaution that we can by contracting with a company that allows us to have transparent data. Um and transparent data ownership for you and anyone else who'd want to do the test, Um, we've just kind of bypassed those concerns, which I'm really excited about because, you know, as someone who is also skeptical of government intervention and skeptical of large-scale corporate interests, I see the, the real need to be able to provide that type of security and really be confident and understand that. Uh, you know your data is your data, and you should own it. And if you want to sell it and maybe make some money money off it to a research company, you can. But you shouldn't ever be put in the position where uh, you know the company that you that you're trusting is doing that without your permission. All
0: right, you do make me feel better. I, I will. I will do your DNA testing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, I think it's uh, and just in general, I actually haven't seen any negative repercussions actually happen from a company like Twenty Three and Me. Uh, there's there's speculation and it and because there's uh, you know there's uncertainty it drives a lot of that speculation. Um, but you know in general I'd rather be safe than sorry and yeah. I'm happy to be able to provide that for people.
0: Yeah, especially when we're living in such uncertain times.
1: <laughs> yes, these are very uncertain times.
0: So tell me a little bit more about um, what we're going to find out through the dna testing like with epigenetics like what are all the different things that that we're looking for and um i don't even know if i'm asking that question the right way because i don't understand it so
1: yeah sure well um let, let me kind of back up and i'll tell you a little bit more exactly what i am looking at when i look at someone's uh, dna test
0: okay
1: so what i'm looking for are these things called single nucleotide polymorphisms and it's a big fancy name that basically just means uh one-letter differences in your DNA code versus mine. Now, about 99% of your DNA and 99% of my DNA is exactly the same. Like, there's absolutely no difference in the in the sequence of uh, of letters uh, that show up in in that code. Uh, but it's that one or or so percent difference that you know makes you unique. And there's actually very regular places in DNA where you see these variations um, and they're pretty these are common variations that again like would go into making your hair color a specific way or mine a specific way um, and they happen at these very regular places so um you know by cataloging them, you can look at your particular point in the DNA where you might have a letter C and I might have a letter g and Uh, through a bunch of research studies that have been done that say, hey, what happens when this person has a T and this person has a G in that place? You know, can we identify uh, specific traits or specific response to food or, uh, you know, disease risk, all these kind of things? um, By looking and comparing your code with those studies and the experience of, you know, uh, working with other clients and seeing these patterns, you can really get some powerful information um, out of those. And to be clear, those those SNPs or single nucleotide polymorphisms, they're um, they're not technically mutations. Uh, sometimes people refer to them as mutations, but I really like calling them polymorphisms because it's more reflective of what they actually are. Because mutations kind of has a lot of emotional baggage with it. People think of mutation, and think it's necessarily a bad thing. Um, but these are just traits that have kind of stabilized. Over, over time in, in, you know, human populations. And sometimes you see, depending on where you, your ancestry is, you know, you might have a higher likelihood of having a SNP uh, versus someone from another part of the world because say in in Nordic countries where there is little sunlight and you might have a different SNP related to vitamin D uh, that might, have, might make your vitamin D production more efficient than say someone who was born in the tropics. And so you get these kind of, this um for almost every single biochemical process in the body you get these tiny little variations that add up and uh can go ahead and give us information about all kinds of things so when i do a genetic read on someone i'll break that up into a couple of different categories and when i'm doing a full read i'll look at nutrition uh micronutrients detoxification pathways Uh, Sleep pathways, and then things that are related to exercise and movement and um, uh, uh, muscles and and that type of thing, metabolic activity. And so, say for nutrition, you can get a a really good feel of: do you need higher carb or lower carb uh, diet to thrive? Do you need more or less saturated fat? And you know, it's interesting. The just getting the oils right and the fats right can make such a huge difference for people. And you know, and it's not just about low fat or high fat. It's about the specific mix of saturated fats to polyunsaturated fats to monounsaturated fats. Um, and so that's the type of information you can get really uh, in detail with genetic testing. That'd be very difficult to uh, look at with traditional blood testing or um, you know other types of tests. So it, it really just kind of cuts through the um, the muck and in, in, into and gives you really an understanding of why, you know, that's what I I love about this information is Mm -hmm. it gives you the why.
0: And I have a feeling like once you have the information, then you can go back and look like, Oh yeah, that totally makes sense. I always want to just like crash and take a nap after I eat, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I I think it, it just kind of will help make sense of it all. And, um, and you know, and also, also it is like you were saying, it's not just like, you know, Throwing shit against the wall and seeing what's going to stick. Now you can be like, okay, I get it, and I have a plan. So, I like plans.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I like what you said about it it connecting dots for people, and and it just makes certain things uh, make sense. I I did was uh, before I got on this call. I was doing a a read for a client this morning who has always hated squash and eggplant, Mm -hmm. and just you know, like the taste of it just disgusts him. Like he can't, can't do it. And there were a couple of genetic markers that are associated with sensitivity to that specific class of, of plant compounds. And it just made so much sense to him. Uh, and it, you know, uh, it took, it, it, it took off the pressure of feeling like, hey, there's something wrong with me because other people like these foods and I don't. Right. Um, you know, so it, it actually creates a lot of self empathy for people and, and really understanding, well, you know, I'm just wired this way. And, uh, in certain cases, you know, you can really get some cool uh, things to try to, to help, um, you know, either mitigate that or in, in this client's case, what we're going to do is actually cut out a couple other foods that he's not necessarily taste sensitive to. But I know that those foods also contain similar compounds uh, that the eggplant and uh, squash do. So we're going to actually try to remove a couple other things that he's probably also sensitive to and, uh, and try there. So you just get these clues and in combination with someone's real life, uh, you, you're able to piece together this really amazing picture. And what I'm really excited to start doing a little bit more is really delve into the cannabis side of it. Um, and, uh, you know, we can, we can start talking about that as
0: well here. Yeah. So what are the genetic variants that are known to influence, um, you know, my response to cannabis?
1: Yeah. So, um, there's quite a few, and I want to preface this by saying most of the research that that's been done in this domain has been really done from the perspective of addiction and cannabis use as a problematic behavior um uh, because that's, of course, what there's been funding for. And anytime we're talking about you know studies on cannabis, you always kind of have to keep in mind that you know there's there's vested financial interests that are not necessarily interested in looking at what the positive benefits are. but well, um, you know, what I've done is really take taking a look at those studies and said, hey, how can we use these? How can we understand uh, the average person's response to cannabis better? Because, uh, you know, I, I and we, we've talked, we talked about this when we, we first talked, but, um, you know, just having knowing people that really don't respond well to cannabis and then having the personal experience of having it be such almost like a panacea where it, you know, for me when I was younger, it, It, uh, it leveled out my anxiety and allowed me to function way better than I was before. Uh, but I had friends that would try it and I was just amazed that they didn't like it. And, uh, there's, there's quite a few genetic variants that indicate reasons why that might be. So just to kind of give you a a real quick tour through, uh, a lot of the genetic variants we know of and what they affect. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, there's. Variants have been associated with short-term memory function after smoking cannabis. So, uh, you know, can you find your keys after you smoke a joint? turns out that the kind of stoner stereotype of, you know, not being able to remember anything for some people is actually pretty true. Uh, there's certain genetic variants associated with uh, really pretty severe short term memory loss right after smoking, but there's also ones that are really actually pretty protective of that. So, uh, you know, there could be people that uh, are really highly functional when after they smoke, and doing some of this genetic testing and getting kind of a more objective uh, measurement of that and uh, really understanding your predispositions there uh, can give you a you know better understanding of hey if i'm gonna smoke and i'm gonna or I'm gonna consume cannabis in any way, uh, is this probably going to affect my memory negatively? Uh, similarly, there's been studies that look at genetic variants that have been associated with things like impulsivity and executive function. So like control over your body movements, that type of thing. And again, there seems to be certain variants that are protective of, uh, worse, uh, executive function after smoking. And some people, uh, you know, seem to not make as good decisions, but it's, it's very variable, uh, in that regard. And then there's also some, uh, genetic variants that have to do, with um uh the overall subjective response to cannabis and how much it affects you. Um specifically there's certain variants that are related to how say two people take uh 20 milligrams of THC, um the levels of THC in their blood 30 minutes later actually might be very different. And that might be because they have a genetic variant in one of the liver pathways that breaks down THC. And so for people with the slow, uh, breakdown variant, they might need less of a dose and they might actually, uh, really over respond to edibles particularly because edibles are, uh, very contingent on that pathway to, uh, kind of metabolize that THC. Mm -hmm. So, uh, dosage is, is certainly something you can look at. Um, there's, uh, General uh, receptor density and receptor response. So you have endocannabinoid receptors. And you're talking receptors.
0: about our CB1 and CB2 receptors.
1: Yep. Okay. Um, um, yep, yep. There's certain uh, SNPs or variants that are that seem to be associated with more or less of those receptors uh, in certain places in the body. Uh, and there's uh, the uh, the cannabinoid receptor one uh, gene. It's called the CNR1 gene. There's a whole lot of different variants in there. And one of the really neat things is that they've associated these variants with a lot of other things than, than just cannabis use. So, um, you know, as you've probably talked about on this show before, the endocannabinoid system kind of interacts with all these other systems in the body. And it, I mean, almost like pretty much every cell in our body has endocannabinoid receptors on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, So variations in those receptors uh, that you can identify with these different genetic variants might create slightly different receptor shapes or or types that respond slightly differently. And they've also associated those things with uh, all kinds of of other conditions, things like just general cognitive function, bone density, uh, likelihood for constipation, weight gain, circadian rhythm, hormone regulation... Uh, and also, interestingly, uh, susceptibility to something like PTSD and stress resiliency, um, depending on certain variants in that cannabinoid receptor 1 gene, uh, certain people might be more predisposed to have kind of a extended stress response to an event, while other people might actually be able to come back to baseline much better. Um, so the so these are, these genetic variants can give you a lot of information into not only the response to cannabis, but other dynamics in general about uh, anything that would be related to the endocannabinoid system.
0: So tell me then, like, so the way you describe all of that, it, it sounds like our genes determine how effective our endocannabinoid system is. So some people may have a really active endocannabinoid system, and some people, for you know, lack of a better word, might have a lazy endocannabinoid system. Is that right? Am I tracking?
1: Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, it, seems, it it doesn't. It's not quite so so simple, but yes, it seems like there are definitely certain genes that might give us indication of if someone has more sensitive cannabinoid receptors, or if they also have more or less of their own cannabinoids. Uh, which is one of the more interesting uh, kind of genes that I, that is available to look at is this gene called FAAH. Um, it stands for fatty acid amide hydrolase word, but what it does is it breaks down the body's main cannabinoid that you produce naturally just on your own without ever you know coming in contact with cannabis. You just have this in your system. And some people tend to have more or less of it because of this Enzyme that breaks it down. So, if you and are we neurobiotic- talking
0: about anandamide? Mm-hmm. We're the,
1: talking about anandamide. Okay.
0: So, just you know, just making sure the listeners are still learning stuff. So, the the endocannabinoid that we produce in our body called anandamide is the doppelganger of THC. Kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I'm really doing it in layman's terms, right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. It it uh, activates the cannabinoid receptor. In, the, in a very similar similar way to THC, and some people seem to just naturally have lower levels of anandamide than other people, and you can kind of track that based on this enzyme that breaks that down called FAAH, and there seems to be kind of two main uh, genetic variants that that you that you see, and uh, some people with with this variant that makes them have higher levels of FAAH. Uh, they break down more of their own anandamide so they have lower levels
0: what does that look like in someone does that mean that they're more depressed or that they just have a better mood like what what does that look like whenever after you've said that like what is the result
1: yeah, so that that is pretty much exactly what that looks like in the research. And it's not clear-cut 100% of the time, but it seems that people that have less of their own anandamide uh, tend to be more depressed and tend to rate their subjective happiness overall a little bit lower. But those are also the people that seem to get the most benefit um, from cannabis.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes total sense. they seem
1: sense. to be, be balancing out that kind of lack of... of uh, of their own cannabinoids. And actually, um, between that one genetic variant, um, people with the low anandamide variant, uh, tend to be chronic long-term cannabis users twice as much as people with the other variant. So people with that already have enough of their own anandamide tend to, uh, be long-term cannabis smokers at half the rate of people that have, uh, um, less anandamide, which is pretty striking.
0: So does that mean that, you know, cause that immediately just brings me into a conversation of addiction because that's, you know, we've been taught that, you know, cannabis is the gateway drug, you know, you, and so we know that's bullshit, but you know, is, is the, that feeling of, uh, of craving of not being able to get through your day without it, is that something that's genetically derived as well?
1: Uh, yeah, there's certainly some genes that play into that. There's um, there's one in the, and again, the cannabinoid receptor gene, as well as a dopamine receptor gene that kind of interact with each other. And they've done some really awesome brain scan studies where uh, they've kind of stratified two groups depending on their genetic variants and then put these people in a brain scanner and expose them to, like they let people watch, they, they had them watch someone light up a joint and watched the way that their brains lit up when they were like watching someone smoke a joint. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, and so there's definitely, um, certain major differences in that brain response to cannabis and just that, uh, stimulus of, of seeing someone else smoke. Um, there's certain genetic kind of predisposition towards that, like craving and that, uh, like really wanting to do it when you see it or, um, you know, having less control over that. So it's definitely something to be aware of. And um, certainly something that, you know, it's just good to know about yourself. Mm-hmm. If you are someone that's more likely to really need to smoke it every day uh, and you are also the type of person that experiences or, you know, poor memory after smoking it, you know, it's kind of a conflict there. Right. Uh, so so what I'm really interested in is understanding uh, not just, you know, are you more likely or less likely to, you know, uh, smoke smoke cannabis every day because it, it makes you feel good. Uh, are you also going to be someone who is a high functioning stoner or are you going to have run into issues? Because in my opinion, um, you know, things that are seen as addictive, uh, they're only an issue when they create problems in someone's life. Like you can be a totally functional stoner. Uh, and smoke every day, but if you're smoking every day and you can't get any work done, then, you know you're you're asleep half the time, then yeah, that's an issue. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it just seems so dependent on the individual.
0: Sure. Now, and does this idea of the craving or um, addiction does that translate from this same um, genetic? pool, does that translate into, you know, alcohol and other forms of drugs or food or whatever? Is it just like that? Is it just like a craving gene anyway? Or is it like, ju- this is just specifically about cannabis? Uh,
1: most of the stuff I'm talking about is specifically about cannabis. Okay. There, there is a little bit of crossover, say, for example, with that dopamine gene, mm-hmm. uh, dopamine receptor gene, that's seen in a lot of other places and and can influence kind of global addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it seems like uh, some of the cannabinoid receptor genes also play an influence in in alcoholism and alcohol addiction, but it doesn't seem, um, it it, it seems to interact in a kind of different way. It's not so, it's not like um, the same gene and same variant that might cause someone to want to smoke cannabis is also going to cause them to want to drink a lot of alcohol.
0: Now, let me ask you, because, you know, there's one thing that particularly keeps parents up at night worrying about their tweens and teens, and that is the idea that um, consuming cannabis could cause mental illness in in young people. So what, what has your research shown on that front?
1: Mm-hmm. So my research on that front has shown that For a small percentage of people, that is a possibility and is a risk, and that um, cannabis does influence the development of of schizophrenia in a very small percentage of people, Uh, other psychotic disorders, that type of thing. Um, And there are actually two genes that have been identified that are really highly associated with that, Um, and one of them is one of those dopamine receptor genes, and the other one is this one called ATK1. And so you can uh, you can screen for that. And that's one of the things that I'm really excited to be able to offer people is that information and that ability to understand, um, you know, Hey, if I'm thinking about using cannabis for a medical condition, um, you know, I want to make sure that this isn't going to affect me negatively in any type of, uh, you know, psychiatric sense. Um, you know, you can, you can look at these things and just make sure and know, and then, um, you know, and, and it's, it's the type of thing where it's a small percentage of people, but the research does show there's a, a correlation. And as someone who, uh, you know, I'm pro cannabis, I want everyone to you know really get the most out of it they can. And at the same time, I want anyone who it might really not be good for to avoid it because, you know, that's it. That's the point of personalized and precision wellness. Um, you know, so I think it as, and I really appreciate the conversation here and asking that that question, because it's kind of a hard question, uh, I think, for people that are generally pro-cannabis and generally mm-hmm. want it to be available and legalized. Uh, but I think actually addressing some of these risks and some of these aspects um, in the whole conversation is really important. So, you know, if you are thinking about using cannabis for, to treat, um, you know, a medical condition, or you are, you know, you, you're, you're, kid, you're, you're a parent worried about your kid, um, the best thing to do is test and look and see if you have some of these genetic correlations, and um, if you do, probably best to avoid cannabis. Uh, I mean, again, this is a small percentage of the population, uh, probably just less than a couple percent, um, but it's really worth uh, checking in and, and, and making sure that you're in the clear.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if the knowledge is available, if you have access to the information and it costs you a couple hundred dollars to find out, like that's worth it. You know, that's worth that peace of mind for a parent who can then turn around and empower their child with the information saying like, this is you, this is your exact roadmap to health and wellness. And this is what will influence your relationship with cannabis and and what that might look like for you down the road. And if somebody's, you know, 5X, 8X more likely to develop some sort of, you know, mental illness, then I I think I would, I'd pump the brakes. I don't care if I'm 12 years old. I mean, there's, these kids are smart today. So it's like, feed them the information and let them make wise choices.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, I, I just love how you put that.
0: Thank you. <laughs> okay, so are there any other any other things that this cannabis um panel would include these other genetic variants? Did we cover all of them or are there some left? Uh
1: there's a there's a few, you know, and just one thing I want to say is that um with this particular panel that we've put together, um this is the most comprehensive endocannabinoid panel available, really the only one I know of that is even uh like being presented as an endocannabinoid panel. Um, but in terms of the raw data and the the particular genetic variants that, that we've chosen and added to this, I've basically taken all of the um, variants that have been studied in the research and put them into this panel. 23andMe has about half of them. So uh, I was running 23andMe reports on people and only being able to see about half of the genes that I wanted to see. So with with these new reports, we're going to be able to really uh, get a much broader picture and a much more comprehensive picture of the endocannabinoid system. And over time, as we begin to develop more, uh, um, you know, get more data and have more and follow more uh, clients over time, uh, we're really going to be able to utilize this for uh, something hopefully eventually like being able to recommend strains and that type of thing to different people.
0: That is, that's an incredible service. I have people all the time asking me about specific strains to try or products that that they, you know, might like and it's so hard to determine that cuz we we all react differently to it. I know that's a service that will be absolutely popular, especially now with it, you know, cannabis coming into the mainstream, you know, more states legalizing it, people have access to it for themselves, for their aging parents for, you know, um, ill children that they might be raising. I mean, there's so many reasons to try it, but the fear of just not knowing enough information is paralyzing for most people. And so then they just don't ever do it. So the service that you're providing, I'm, I am a, I'm a, I'm going to be one of your biggest cheerleaders, David, I promise you that.
1: (laughs) Well, I really appreciate it, Joanna. And I'm going to be one of your biggest cheerleaders for the show because it's just so important to have, Uh, intelligent conversations that kind of go beyond the binary of cannabis is good or cannabis is bad because, you know, when you really examine it from the perspective outside of our kind of cultural and legal framework that we, you know, I mean, it's so silly, you know, if if you were just to look at cannabis in the same way you would coffee or uh, vitamin C or saturated fat or just any of these other Uh, substances that we are going to encounter and are going to need to decide, hey, how much to this do I want to put in my body and uh, when and why, if you really just kind of break, look at it like that and level the playing field out a little bit, um, you know, I think it's a really powerful tool in the toolkit. Um, But I think it's also important to just examine all the different angles with it. So so thank you so much for, uh, you know, facilitating the conversation.
0: Absolutely. You know, we've talked about THC and its relationship with the CB1 receptors. What about the other cannabinoids? Like does mm-hmm. THC, CBD, CBG, do they express themselves differently based on the genes? Or is it, you know, just kind of like cannabis is cannabis, and this is how it all works? Or do they have, is there some nuance between the, the different cannabinoids?
1: Yeah. So there certainly is nuance between the different cannabinoids and we're at a phase of research right now where it just hasn't been really parsed out yet beyond THC too much. We know a little bit about CBD. Um, It's similarly to how uh, we know that some people are faster, slow metabolizers of THC. Uh, There also seems to be a pretty wide variation in the way that people break down and metabolize CBD. Um, there haven't been quite as many studies on it, but we do know that there's the pathway called CYP3A4, which is another liver pathway that kind of is the main uh, route for CBD metabolism. And what's really interesting is there's all these studies where they give, uh, uh, you know, 100 different people, say, 10, 20 milligrams of CBD, and then when they test their blood levels 30 minutes later, an hour later, the blood levels can vary by up to 10 to 12 times from person to person. Wow. Oh. So yeah, it's, it's really wide. And that's why you see so much variation in CBD dosing and really why at this point it's mostly recommended, Hey, you got to just try it and titrate the dose for your particular body. Um, but and I are, think that's
0: difficult to do with CBD also, because, you know, you don't get the, the high from it. You know, I, I, I do get a lightness of being from CBD, but it's like it's really hard, I think, to find out what your your perfect kind of sweet spot is with CBD.
1: Right. Yeah. Because a lot of the symptoms that are being treated are, are the, the subtlety of being able to notice when something gets better or when something gets worse it isn't necessarily as acute as knowing, hey, I'm too high right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, So for sure, that that's definitely a component of it, and. um so there there are a couple of genetic variations that can influence that, but uh the research just hasn't really been done yet, but it's coming because this is the kind of the next step um, and part of what I'm really excited to be able to do with these panels that i'm um, working with people on is to start to generate more data, and actually anyone who does a panel with me is contributing to this larger picture of um you know, really understanding CBD dosage and making correlations with people's genetics. So the work that I'm doing isn't necessarily just uh, to provide people with information. It's also to start to develop a database and to develop a, uh, a way to really become more precise over time once we have hundreds of people's information and and have hundreds of people's stories and their uh, what they're using CBD for, how they're using it, what their dosage is like. Um, that's as we continue with this, what we're going to start to build up a, a database that hopefully can go into helping people and helping people, uh, you know, kind of get at the right dosage at the, from from the start.
0: That's outstanding. So now let's talk about who all should be doing this. So, you know, we we mentioned parents and them having peace of mind, you know, just really understanding the risk levels for their for their kids. Who are some of the other people that you have right now that are using this? How do how do I even say that? They're getting their cannabis panel done? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I call it the uh, endocannabinoid panel.
0: The endocannabinoid panel. Who else are some of your kind of your hot clients for this?
1: Yeah, so, you know, I have a lot of um, just general uh, high achievers, Kind of curious stoners and psychonauts, uh, people that, are, that really want to know more about their body, uh, really want to understand, you know, how to optimize their nutrition and, and all the things they're putting in their body. Um, and, you know, I also uh, a lot of seniors and people that are older that are thinking about using cannabis and really want to make sure that it's the right thing. Can be a really good way to to make sure uh, that you're not going to do any harm to your body by using cannabis, which for the most people, for the most people, you know, it's a, it's a great choice for things like pain relief or, uh, working with autoimmune conditions, that type of thing. Um, but this is an additional layer of understanding how that's going to affect people. And, you know, it, it, in general, I, I work with a lot of people that are just interested in improving their health, um, just to be able to do whatever they, they love to do better. You know, that's, I work with a lot of creative people. Uh, I've worked with everyone from uh, a VP of Google to, uh, musicians to, um, you know, just yoga, yoga teachers. I work with a lot of holistic practitioners and, uh, also people that are working with specific illnesses or diseases that, um, you know, they want support for and, what makes me, you know, very different in my approach is I, I'm looking at, uh, you know, things from a whole systems perspective. And while, you know, if you're working on uh, treating symptoms for, you know, a specific diagnosed disease, uh, Western care doesn't really focus on anything but those symptoms or that disease itself. But oftentimes, you, you really see fantastic results when you support the whole system, when you get sleep right, when you get light exposure right, when you get nutrition and supplements, uh, you get kind of the whole, all of these different inputs to the system dialed in. Uh, changes happen much more quickly than just trying to go after one little facet. Yes, uh, of things. So, so true. So I really, yeah, yeah, so I really love just working with people who uh, are coming from that mindset and understand that they have control over their health they might just need a little bit of guidance to know what to do to, to really optimize it. And, uh, people that know that, uh, you know, there's more than just a uh, single pathway, single system, single drugs. Uh, it's really about supporting the whole body, the whole person, everything from, uh, what you're doing to occupy your time. Is that, you know, bringing you joy to your relationships, to your mentality, you know, all of those things tie into the epigenetics and to the, this larger uh, picture of genetic expression. So, um, you know, again, uh, parents uh, looking to, uh, you know, kind of get a feel for how cannabis might be affecting their kids, uh, seniors and older folks that are are thinking about trying cannabis, and then uh, just people generally interested in understanding more about themselves and their bodies.
0: Outstanding. So, this work that you're doing, you do that through. Is it the Apiron Center? How do how do I pronounce that? Apiron. Yeah.
1: So, Apiron Center. Um, I, I do this work independently as a coach, but I am affiliated with them, and okay. uh, it's run by Dr. Dan Stickler, who I, I mentioned is the oh, medical okay. director for for NeuroHacker. He also runs a company called Apiron. And it's essentially an organization committed to helping realize human potential through a uh, precision personalized approach to wellness. Um, and genetics kind of lie at the core of that approach. And uh, Dr. Sickler's uh, really incredible um, uh, practitioner is kind of world renowned uh, expert on this genomic stuff. So uh, it's been really really quite amazing getting to work with him and collaborate with him on on some of this material. And um, yeah, I'm uh I'm very very proud to be affiliated with those guys.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. So let's walk through then what an epigenetics coaching session would be like with you. I'm so fascinated. I'm totally going to do this. So we'll just talk about it like it's me because it will be. Walk me through what what should I expect?
1: Yeah. So first thing would be. Uh, I would send you a genetic test it 's a simple swab test you just um you make sure you don 't eat or drink anything for about thirty minutes and you just do a cheek swab drop it in the uh in the little tube and send it off and it 's about a five to seven day uh return time for the test, which is super exciting because uh twenty three and me sometimes i 've seen it take up to two months so we gotta oh, yeah, I sometimes. want instant
0: gratification, David yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, get a quick return time on the test. And, uh, it, then, uh, while that test is being, uh, analyzed by the, the sequencing, uh, guys, uh, we'll, we'd sit down and do what I call a lifestyle review session where I learn everything I possibly can about you. I learn about what you eat and what, what your life has been like, what you've tried that's worked for you. Maybe, you know, if you've tried diets or things that haven't worked for you, uh, what your uh, daily routine is like, what you're doing for work, you know, what your relationships are like, um, really kind of get a whole picture perspective on everything about you. So that I can figure out the best way to help optimize your health, um, because you know there's so many little things that can sometimes be shifted. That it's my job as a coach to pick up on and 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 point out that might not be so obvious to you, um, and really getting that kind of whole. Review that whole um, whole comprehensive picture can be very helpful, and it's it's something that you know when you go to a doctor and you spend fifteen twenty minutes, and they say, oh yeah, well your you know your blood sugar is is this, and your cholesterol is a little high, Why don't you you know take a statin and come back to see me in a year. Uh, it just allows for so much more depth and really getting to the underlying. Root causes of things rather than trying to just fix them with a pill or anything like that. So you know it's it's the root which seems to that, be
0: that Western approach. We just slap a right. bandaid on stuff instead of getting to the root of the problem
1: absolutely. and so it's it's really developing a relationship where I understand you know who you are and and what your goals are. And then from there, uh, I incorporate the genetics into understanding well what 's going to be the best diet what 's going to maybe be some supplements that might help optimize the way that you detoxify uh things or or um, metabolize hormones, or you know what are the little things that we can tweak to just make see some immediate results and so uh just to give you an idea the the full genomic report um, is about uh seventy five pages of material, so there 's a lot of information in there. And when I work with someone, uh, I usually work, you know, we'll work together for six months or 12 months. Um, part of what I do is really just pick out, like, what are the most important things from that, those 75 pages? And let's try those first. And then as we continue to implement those, those things and, and you're, you incorporate, uh, dietary changes or exercise changes, we'll kind of continue to refer back to the genetics to, uh, you know, keep trying new things and, and keep adding things in uh, to really get you to where you want to go. And uh, w- along with that, I'll often do some lab testing uh, or and some cognitive testing to get some kind of baseline biomarkers that we can track over time. Because uh, it's really nice to say, um, you know, look at a couple inflammation markers or cholesterol markers, that type of thing, and actually track how those change as we're implementing the uh, the protocols that we get from the genetics. So it's kind of this dual approach of let's, uh, let's, let's try some things, let's test it. Um, And in addition to those lab tests, of course, your subjective experience and your energy levels are going to guide a lot of this, um, just knowing how you feel. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do also like to get some objective measurements because it's just, it's very helpful to to really see what's going on under the hood in real time.
0: Right on. Now tell me how long this relationship between us lasts. So from Mm -hmm. me doing this, um, the custom genetic test up through you analyzing the data and then giving me recommendations, like how's, how is that, um, how's that next step work?
1: Yeah. So, and just to be clear, this is what the full coaching package that I offer looks like. Uh, I also do offer just the genomic panels Uh, that would just be uh, the genetic test and then one session where we sit down and I'd go over either your cannabis genetics or say, look at supplementation and detoxification genetics. Um, you know, that's an option too. And yeah, now yeah. you
0: being in North Carolina and me being in California, like there's, there's nothing lost in the, um, the distance, so to speak. Like I don't have to be in your office to, to use the service and to have, um, you know, have this coaching relationship with you, correct?
1: Correct. Uh, pretty much everything I do now is remote, which um, makes it really easy for uh, both you and me. You don't have to go anywhere. Uh, all, all the tests can be done uh, either at local labs or the genetic test can be sent right to your house, and you just send it right back out.
0: Outstanding. For someone interested in the the full coaching package, kind of dive a little bit deeper into that and and you know what that's what that looks like.
1: Yeah. So um, the things I was describing the lifestyle review. And the genomic review um, that usually happens in the first month, and then, after that, we do a six month month package uh, I'll either see you uh, once a month or twice a month where we check in, and I continue to just know what's going on for you. Are there things that we're trying working? Are there certain things that maybe we should try to adjust and you know I act as a support buddy and kind of an accountability buddy, and you know really. Just continue to offer advice and support on how to continue to integrate the information and try new things, and uh, really move towards your health goals. And you know, everyone's health goals are going to look look very different. Some people are interested in weight loss. Some people are interested in, say, reducing depressive symptoms. But there's different ways to, uh, you know, approach those individual needs and. Uh, different ways to look at the genetics depending on what your goals are. So um, that's one of the reasons why, you know, having a long intake and really understanding who you are helps me figure out how to use the genetic information to the best of uh, both of our
0: advantages. Makes total sense. So since we are all precious snowflakes, do you have some particular success stories that you're most excited about?
1: Yeah, I've got a few ones I can talk about. And um, uh, two of these uh, have video testimonials on my website. If you if you go to my site and click on the testimonials tab, there's some uh, videos of these folks themselves actually talking about their experience. Um, but I had one client come in, he had a history of depression, bipolar, uh, had been on a number of psychiatric medications. This was a man in his late 40s. Um, we did some genetic testing and found out that he had uh, SNPs in something called the MTHFR gene, uh, and these are very commonly associated with uh, depression and some other uh, mental conditions, um, and we did some further blood testing to confirm that that's really what was going on, mm-hmm. and we did, and turned out he was what they call a low-methylator, and so we uh, got him started on a supplement called SAM-E, uh, which is a source of methyl groups, it's a little more than I uh, want to get into here, but um, he did really well. He, you know, his mood improved. He actually got off his blood blood pressure medication while we were working together. And uh, I just recently followed up with him. Uh, I hadn't seen him in about a year and a half. And he says that he's been on the same regimen, he's never felt better in his life. And, uh, you know, really figuring out what was lying at the root of those depressive symptoms instead of trying to treat it with, um, you know, a serotonin reuptake inhibitor, a traditional psychiatric medication. We actually went to the root of the problem and uh, shifted some of those underlying pathways. And it's made a huge difference for him. And uh, I, I'm, I love hearing, you know, love working with people that have tried all these other things and, you know, are willing to try what, you know, what the, uh, the next level of kind of information and testing is. So he was a great, um, great case.
0: Yeah, that is, Um, that's a hopeful story.
1: mm -hmm. And uh, and another one, I had a client coming to me, he was younger, he was actually in his early 20s, uh, really smart kid, really talented, very creative. um, But he was having trouble with his girlfriend because he would uh, have a lot of mood swings. And when he was stressed out from work, it got worse. And uh, you know, he was frustrated that he would just act irrationally and blow up at things that he knew later on, like he shouldn't have blown up at, at her. And he felt like, uh, there was something going on with his diet that you know, overall might improve this. And he was also kind of worried about focus in general. You know, he, he kind of was an ADHD kind of type and, uh, we did some genetic testing and it, uh, showed that he probably really had some issues with insulin response and blood sugar control. And so we changed his diet to really help manage those blood sugar swings. And, um, in about two months, he came back and, uh, said that he had this moment where he was just able to catch himself before he blew up and realized, oh, you know what? Like, I'm going to need a little bit of space, but I don't have to get angry about this. Like, and he was able to control these blood sugar swings which were actually uh, you know, really dropping his ability to respond rather than react to the situation. Yeah, it, was just, so, yeah, it
0: became a trigger. What a self aware young man to reach out to you in his early twenties because of this. Most most men don't figure that out until they're well, sometimes ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I I I was really you know, grateful to be able to help him with it. Uh and I think it, you know I think more and more younger people are starting to be aware that there are things that you can do to, to impact yourself positively like this. And you, just because you, you know, react a certain way doesn't mean that has to be the way you react. Right. Um, and, and there's you know, a really nice kind of synergy between, say, doing that internal emotional work and kind of getting the, the the blood sugar and the, your metabolism and your available energy up so that you have the headroom and the headspace to, you know, be in the moment and respond out of loving kindness rather than anger and reactivity. Um, you know, so uh, he was a great case. And the other thing with him, too, was interesting. He was a long-term cannabis smoker, um, but actually felt like it wasn't serving him anymore and that he, you know, it felt like he, it was getting in the way of his ability to concentrate and focus, but he was pretty fairly addicted to it and had you know issues like getting off of it and cutting it down. And some of the endocannabinoid genetics we looked at uh, really indicated that he probably just had lower activation of his cannabinoid receptors in general. And so that THC was probably serving to really turn that back on. But we, we ended up uh, switching him to uh, CBD and some green tea extract and maca, which all have uh, the ability to kind of upregulate that system together. And he was able to cut back on cannabis smoking and, and was really happy about that as well.
0: Outstanding. So I know with most ladies, as we age and our bodies start changing and we start getting more uncomfortable in our clothes, do you have any success stories that have to do with weight regulation and and metabolism and all that good stuff?
1: Yeah, great question. Actually, one of my most recent uh, success successful client stories is exactly that. Um, I have a friend who, um, she's also kind of in the alternative health industry. She's a yoga teacher, uh, works with, um, actually works with a lot of, uh, prison populations, goes in and does, uh, uh yoga and yoga in prison for people.
0: Wow. Um,
1: but, uh, she had been wanting to try the ketogenic diet and came to me because she wanted to make sure that it was a safe thing for, for her to do for her genes. Um, because she was aware that, uh, you know, the ketogenic diet tends to be very high in saturated fat. Um, and, uh, for certain people, she, she was aware that saturated fat can really cause some problems. And actually for certain people it can really raise the risk of heart disease and Alzheimer's and, um, but it, it really depends on genetics. So I did a read for her and, uh, sure enough, we actually did find out that she probably shouldn't be doing a lot of saturated fat but she had some really good genes for monounsaturated fat. So she started doing a kind of modified ketogenic diet that was very high in saturated or monounsaturated fat, very high in olive oil, avocados, that type of thing, instead of the saturated fat that typically gets used. Mm -hmm. And um, she's, in the last like month or so, has lost about 10 pounds and her energy levels are, she said that they've been higher than they have been in years. Um, so that's just a great example of yeah. just one tiny little tweak, not even between the total amount of fat, but just the type of fat uh, really changed the the way that this diet worked for.
0: That's outstanding. I love it. If anyone listening wants to do a deeper dive into what David and I have been discussing today, um, he has got an amazing, and this is what I first watched and got so excited about, a free and informative cannabis webinar on his website. So I recommend checking that out. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. If your interest is peaked, go watch the video. If you're just you're already sold and you're ready to do it and you want to learn more about your personal relationship with food and cannabis and exercise, David is kindly offering a $50 discount on the endocannabinoid panel for you. So I'll include all the nitty gritty details in the show notes at casuallybake.com. But David, thank you so much for um, for doing that. Because I think you know, some people do need a little financial incentive to get started on something like that. You know, it's something that for me, it is a no brainer. If you really are truly trying to lead a cannabis for wellness lifestyle, this test makes perfect sense.
1: Absolutely. And I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to give your listeners a discount because right now my intention and goal is just to spread this information to the most amount of people and give the most amount of people the opportunity to learn more about themselves. And if you're someone who has tried different things throughout the years and you've heard about this diet, that diet, maybe your friend has had really good success with the paleo diet or the vegan diet and, you know, you tried it and you just didn't get the same results, well, um, you know, I can save you the, the time, I can save you the energy of really having to do that self-experimentation and save you that failure, save you that that uh, wasted time and energy uh, just by cutting right to what the uh, the right things for you to do are. So, yes, I'm going to offer $50 off the endocannabinoid panel um, to your listeners or uh, a free endocannabinoid panel with the purchase of the nutrition supplementation and detox panels or a full coaching package. So um, it's pretty good value. And uh, I hope some of your listeners take me up on it because I'd love to work with them. I love working with other people that are naturally interested in cannabis and uh, uh, naturally just intelligent, smart uh, people that want to know more about themselves.
0: Absolutely. And there, you know, there are so many, like you were saying, all these different diets out there, you know, everybody has an opinion on how we should do things and live our life better. And I mean, at the end of mine and your conversation, I now know with actually with complete certainty that it's BS. You know, we, we can't tell somebody to do something because it's going to work for them because it worked for us. I mean, we, we just, we don't know. And, and the easiest way to the path of, health and wellness and happiness is really focusing on ourself and, and doing the individual work. It's about sleep, it's exercise, it's diet, it's who we surround ourselves with. And, you know, just like that kid who had blood sugar issues. And I mean, it was showing itself as him being a shitty boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like a lot of relationships in our lives end up getting affected by things that are happening internally that we can't see and we don't know anything about. For me, this is like knowledge is power. It's absolutely worth it. Now tell me real quick, and just so everybody knows, how much is this endocannabinoid panel?
1: Sure. So the endocannabinoid panel, and, and the price of this will go up. Uh, I'm, I'm setting the price fairly low because it's a uh, it's a new panel that we're doing, but it's normally 150 For your listeners, it'll be $100. Uh, and that's in addition to the Uh, the genetic testing itself, which is 150. So the total with the discount uh, for uh, for the test and the uh, endocannabinoid panel is 250 instead
0: of 300. Got it. Now, if someone has already done another genetic test, like they've already done the 23andMe, can they submit that data? I think I remember you saying it doesn't cover everything. Would you want somebody to just do a fresh panel with you? Or if they already have something, how does that work?
1: Uh, I would suggest that they do a fresh panel because I'm just not going to have access to as many of the different genetic variants that uh, I would have access to through my test. But it still could work. It works a little bit better if, say, someone wanted to do nutrition uh, specifically for the endocannabinoid panel. I'd recommend they do the new test because it's very much designed to make sure we have all of the genes in there that we want to see.
0: All right, all right, that sounds good. Well, thank you so much for your time today and and sharing some of the the secrets that our DNA hold. Like this is such fascinating stuff to me.:
1: Well, I'm really excited you're fascinated about it, uh, Joanna, and I'm really excited to work with you as well, and maybe we'll do a follow-up show where we uh, kind of check back in and let people know how things are going with that.
0: You know, absolutely. For somebody who, you know, I've been using cannabis for roughly 22 years of my life on a consistent basis. And I would love to lead by example and be the person that, you know, I don't know what I'll find out on, on this test. But if, if I get information that tells me I need to cut back on my consumption or change my lifestyle, you know, that's something I'm willing to do. And I'm, I'm happy to, um, to be transparent about that on the show. So we absolutely will have to do another show and, and do a big reveal of my endocannabinoid panel. <laughs> that would be great. Oh my gosh, it kind of makes me nervous thinking about it. You and I will talk offline about next steps for me, but thank you so much for your time and I look forward to chatting with you again.
1: Uh, thank you so much for your time, Joanna, and it's been a pleasure.
0: So... What did I tell you? That's really rad shit, huh? I truly believe this is something every one of you parents should do for your child. Not only is it going to give you peace of mind, but you know you're going to empower your child with the information to make thoughtful decisions for themselves. And that's one of your biggest responsibilities as a parent. Do it or don't, but do. And if you're a high achiever like me, a genetics test like this empowers you to make important shifts and adjustments in your life so that you can perform at your peak. Scout's honor that I am going through with it myself and I will share the details with you. In the meantime, if you learn something, definitely share this episode with someone that you love. And if you appreciate what I'm all about here at Casually Baked the Podcast, please subscribe and if you've got an extra minute or two on your hands, rate and review the podcast on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. We have a time together. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded and produced by Yours Truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album Gotta Get Back wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. David was my very first calling guest. And it started with me being able to hear him and him not being able to hear me. And there was a lot of weird glitches in the very beginning, but we got it all worked out. And this week I'm at the Podcast Movement Conference in Philadelphia. Trying to learn how to get even better for you. So stay tuned. Hopefully, you'll notice these podcasts keep getting better and better and better and better and better and better. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows.